Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Revelation chapter 21 this morning, and we're, once you're there, if you would stand with me, Revelation 21. We're going to begin in verse 9. It says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at it, at the, the gates, 12 angels, and on that gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold a measure, to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with its rod to 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, and the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the, and the Lamb. And the city that had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will, will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory of the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we ask you, Lord, to just encourage our hearts with what we're hearing. This is our eternal dwelling place if we're in Christ. And Lord, although we can look out in the world today and be uh, concerned, Lord, we know that the best is yet to come, that you are at work to do, do your will in this world, and that one day we will be in your presence forever and ever if you're, we're in Christ. We pray that you'd just encourage our hearts this morning and help us to be reminded to set our minds on things above, Lord, and to keep our eyes on Jesus. So we ask you to bless our time together, Lord, and we also pray for our hearts, Lord, as we prepare for communion at the end of the service this morning, that you remind us, God, that, that we're welcome at the table because of the blood of Jesus, not because of anything that we've done. We're not welcome because we're worthy. We're welcome because we believe by grace through faith in Christ alone. 
And so we thank you for allowing us to sit at this table and to be reminded of uh, what Jesus has done for us, that we could be those invited guests. This morning, Lord, we pray for anyone that doesn't know you, that you help draw their heart this morning because this meal that we partake of as a reminder of Christ is for believers. And so it's not for believers who have been believers for an X amount of period, but it's for believers. And so if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, will you draw their hearts this morning so that they can partake of communion in a worthy manner in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for this time. We look forward to allowing your spirit to work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. How many of you are living in your forever home? Anybody in this place living in your forever home? You know, some of you are like, not yet. Anybody looking, anybody have their forever home in their mind? Like, you know, you're planning it out in your mind and you're like, you're like, this is what I would like or anything. I want to daydream with you for a second. You know, if you had, could spare no expense, what would your forever home look like? What would it be a a big spread of land with a gigantic house? Would it, be a, would, would it be a micro home on like, you know, a quarter acre, you know, somewhere in the middle of an HOA development, you know, so you could really get underneath people's skin? What, what would your place, uh, what would your forever home look like? You know, it's interesting that according to a survey that was done by uh, a digital third coast, a marketing company in 2018, they say that actually most people don't want much. According to their statistics, 60% of, of those who were surveyed said that they want, they would, their dream home would be a new build that's just over 2,000 square feet. They're, they don't want this gigantic home and all of this kind of stuff. They just want a, a newer home, a brand new home with over, a little over 2,000 square feet. The three most common words used to describe their dream home is comfortable, cozy, and spacious. Anybody okay with that? Is that like hitting the, the forever home kind of thing in your heart? You're like, yeah, that's, that's me. I would like uh, that. Well, uh, it, let's talk about location for a second. So it's, it's the burbs or bust for the millennials. They want to live in the suburbs, and that's where most of them are headed. When it comes to the boomers, they are plan to retire at the beach. And, and Any boomers in here like, that's me. I want to be there. There you go. At the beach, awesome. And then when it comes to the Gen Xers, they prefer uh, privacy of country living. So they want to sprawl out a little bit and have, have some property. Um, d- overall, the survey takers were willing to spend an average $1.3 million to build their dream home. So that's kind of sparing no expense. But, uh, you know, but the millennials, they, they would add another couple hundred grand to that. You know, so $1.5 million. They're willing to do that to get, to get the job done. What would your forever home look like? What would, what would it look like? Whatever it is, I want to break the news to you that it won't be your forever home. Because there is no forever home on this earth. Our forever home is in heaven. It's not made with human hands. It's a city with a foundation whose designer and builder is God, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. And listen, it's not a structure that's made with $9 two-by-fours, as extravagant as that sounds. I know you're like, wow, these, look at how extravagant. I got $9 two-by-fours holding this sheetrock up here. But, but the structure of your forever home in heaven is going to be made with with incredible jewels, particularly uh, jasper, which is uh, probably diamonds. And the streets are paved with gold. And it's, it's the, literally the things that we lust after in this world are building materials in heaven. 
It's an extravagant place. It's going to be amazing. The location will beat the burbs, the beach, and country living all together. Heaven, the new Jerusalem, where we will dwell with the Lord forever, that is our forever home. And it's coming soon. I wanted to encourage you this morning. This reminds me of a story that I heard about a, an elderly couple who had been married for 65 years. And um, they had both passed away on the same day. And it was in spite of their exceptional health because the wife's insistence on eating healthy. So when they died, they went to the pearly gates and they met none other than, who do you think? Peter, right? St. Peter, right? That's, this is not biblical, but just follow me with this. So Peter's at the gate, and he says, hey, I want to I show you guys around. Let me show you to your mansion, the place that Jesus went to prepare a place for you and all this. So he takes them into the, their mansion, and they're oohing and aahing over the, um, the, the views of the universe and all of that. And, and, and the, the old guy looks at Peter, and he says, how much is this going to cost me? And Peter says, this is heaven. It's free. He's like, oh, okay, cool. So, you know, time went on. They decided that, well, let's go get some dinner at the, at the you know, the, the little hall down the way there. So they went to, into a banquet hall, and there was a gigantic buffet, uh, you know, with every, every food that you could imagine in, in you know, plenty, plenty of it. So, you know, the man's like, oh, man, this is amazing. But then he looks at Peter again. And he says, how much does this cost? And uh, Peter looks at him and says, man, you don't get it, do you? We're in heaven. Everything is free. And he said, okay, well, that's cool. Well, where are all the low-fat, high-fiber foods at? And Peter goes, oh, this is the great part. We don't have to worry about any of that because, you know, whatever you eat here is not going to make you unhealthy. You can eat whatever you want. The guy turns over, he looks at his wife, and he says, you and your stupid brand muffins. We could have been here years ago <laughs> if it wasn't for you. You know? <laughs> Heaven is our forever home, and it's going to be amazing, folks. Uh, not because of the mansions or because of the jewels that build the walls or the gold that leads the streets or, you know, or the buffets that we may sit, sit at or whatever. None of that's going to make it heaven. What's going to make it heaven is God, his presence in that place, that we will dwell with him forever. Uh, you know, you... you you may never feel home here on this earth because you're not at home. This is not our home. We're sojourners in this land. You know, uh, the saying is that heaven, our home is where your heart is. Well, that's why we're never fully complete on this earth because our heart, part of our heart is, is in heaven with the Lord. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the fact that our heart yearns for something earth can't supply is proof that heaven must be our home. And that is the truth. Our forever home is on the other side of this life. And our text gives us a lot to think about relating to our forever home. So I've divided these verses into five different sections relating to our forever home. The first thing that we find is the appearance of our forever home. Look at verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the 12 gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. 
on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So this is a parenthetical pause. We've, been, we've seen multiples of these through uh, the book of Revelation so far. It's literally God taking a break in the chronology to show us something specific about uh, maybe something that he's, re- it's something he, he's looking back to. We've already seen the New Jerusalem revealed in verse 2. Remember, it says that, that uh, John said he saw a new heaven and a new earth in verse 1 of 21. For the, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the uh, holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He's already seen the New Jerusalem coming down, uh, you know, out of heaven and all of that. But, but God is wanting to show us something very specific about the New Jerusalem. So he's taking a pause before he progresses on in the chronology of the book of Revelation. And John is now invited up to a great mountain by one of the seven angels with the seven plagues. That would be a little freaky if you think about it. You know, you're like, whoa, this dude just poured out God's wrath on planet Earth, you know, uh, uh, 1,007 years ago, you know, because the 1,000-year reign and then right before that, the seven-year tribulation period. This is one of the guys that poured out the wrath of God on this earth. And now he's showing, I don't know if I would be comfortable him being my guide in, in heaven, but I guess that's okay. Uh, but he says, I'm going to show you the bride the wife of the lamb. Now, the last time that we see in the book, in the in the Bible, somebody uh, peeping on somebody else's wife, it didn't turn out very well. That was David, and he ended up becoming an adulterous murderer. So I don't think that's the intention here. But but John is showing the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It's kind of interesting. He says, "I'm going to show you the bride, uh, the wife of the lamb." But then he sees the holy city of Jerusalem coming out. That's kind of interesting. Why is that? Why, why is the holy city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, that's coming down out of heaven from God called the bride, the wife of the lamb? It's not because the, the city itself is the bride of the wife of the lamb, but the occupants of the city are the bride, the wife of the lamb. Let me explain. A building doesn't doesn't uh, a building isn't necessarily what's being spoken of here. It's the occupants inside of that. What makes a church a church? It's not the building, because the building's not the church. We're the church. The people make the building. It's not the opposite. In other words, when we leave this place, it's just a building. But when we inhabit this place, gather together right now like we are, this is the church. But when we leave, folks, this is a building. Like any other building. You know, we are the church. You know, what makes a a city a city is the occupants of the city. What makes the city of Jerusalem holy is the occupants of that city. The occupant primarily being God. He is holy. Therefore, it's a holy city. And we are his holy people. So we are the occupants of heaven. We are the occupants of this new New Jerusalem. And man, it's going to be an amazing city. Listen to what it says. It says it's going to shine with the glory of God. Literally, the glory of God is going to be beaming out of the city. You'll be basking in the Shekinah glory of God. Now, we see the Shekinah glory of God coming down in two specific areas in the Old Testament. 
One particular, uh, when Solomon finished the temple. The other, uh, when Moses was tabernacling with the Lord in the, the Exodus. Uh, first, we're going to look at the, the filling of the temple uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 through 3. Solomon says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering of the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the, the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw that fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the, on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. In that moment, listen, the temple wasn't magnificent because it was the temple. The temple was magnificent because the glory of God had filled that place. That's what made it, uh, that's what made it incredible. Remember when Jesus shows up on the scene and all the Pharisees and the religious leaders are talking about how glorious the temple is. Do you know the temple had no glory in it? The temple had been emptied of God's glory. The spirit of the Lord had departed the temple and yet they were caught up in the building. Listen, when Jesus showed up, people were going to the building thinking it's about the building, but they were missing the glory of God. And I would hate for that for, to happen to us, that we're just showing up in a building thinking that this is the place when actual, all actuality, you know, it's not. The glory of the Lord has departed this, this place. Not this place, I hope. I pray that that never happens here. But it does happen in churches. But guess what? People keep coming through the doors, and the seats continue to be occupied you know, in, in all of these sorts of things. Hey, we're seekers of the presence of the Lord. That's what we're seekers of. We're the church. We're, we come into, into the, this place and we bring him with us. So his glory is here this morning because you're here and you're filled with him. Praise God for that. Not only do we see the glory of the Lord being filled in the, in the temple, but also the tabernacle. Remember what the tabernacle is? It's literally a tent made with with animal skins, folks. Tent made with animal skins. Can you imagine walking out like, whoa, look at that tent. That tent is amazing. We gotta worship God in that tent. Look at how, it's not about the tent, is it? It's about the person who fills the tent. Uh, Moses in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 and 35 says this, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Listen, the holy city of Jerusalem is the holy city of Jerusalem because of the occupants within that place. The glory of the Lord fills the new Jerusalem. It is a radiance of glory, talking about it being like a rare jewel. No wonder the Lord spoke about uh, you know, or John spoke about the city of Jerusalem coming down uh, like a bride adorned for her husband on their wedding day uh, because that's where the glory of God is. I don't know about you guys, but I know my bride stole the show when she showed up at our wedding. You guys missed it again. No amens from you guys. Listen, your wife's going to start wondering. Hey, Pastor Tim keeps setting you up, but uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't amen it, so... Man, I'm praying for you guys. I'll start fasting too. 
But, but the point of it is that this place is going to be miraculous, not because the city is miraculous, but because the person inside the city is miraculous. The new Jerusalem will still the show when it comes to eternity because God's presence is there. It will be like a jasper, clear as crystal. What's a jasper? Well, a, a, in biblical ancient times, uh, it was called a jasper. It's probably referring to a diamond. So here we have, you know, this, this city that's kind of built like a diamond, like it's, it's built of diamonds, diamond material or whatever, one gigantic diamond. But here's what's also interesting. In verse 18, we see there's also another element there uh, which links us to uh, it being the bride of the lamb, and that is gold. You know, nothing says I love you like diamonds and gold, right? I mean, it just, it, and here we have a picture of, you know, what we consider to be, uh, you know, that, that emblem that represents marriage, a diamond and gold, you know, and here this city, the New Jerusalem is, is made up of diamonds and gold, and it's called the bride. It's called the bride. It's called the wife of the lamb. How amazing is that? What a picture it is of us that we see. You know, we, we know that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, that it's to, to, to reveal to us, you know, really how much the Lord loves us. And, and, and that relationship, there's no other relationship on, on planet Earth like that relationship. So cherish that relationship. Make it, make it uh, you know, in the most incredible relationship that you have. Notice it says the city walls were great and high. Uh, talking about nobody can scale those walls. No one's going to be able to just crawl up and get up over those walls into heaven. You know, the, the New Jerusalem's walls will be impenetrable. Nobody will be able to... Uh, get up and over them. You have to come through the gate. It's the only way in. And we'll talk about that in a minute. This is meant to reveal to us that this city is exclusive, that it's off limits, sort of like the husband-wife relationship. When we enter marriage relationship, it's an exclusive relationship. It should be the most important relationship in your life. Nothing should come in between you and your spouse. Not your kids, not your job, not anything. The Lord's the center. He's the third chord strand. And, and a third chord strand is not easily broken. The Lord's center of your relationship, and then it's you and, your, you and your spouse. Most important relationship in all of the world right there because it emulates Christ's love for the church. And by the way, when your children are on the outside of that relationship like they're supposed to, and you're not child-centered parenting, when they're on the outside of that relationship, being an adjunct to the family, not the center of the family, but an adjunct to the family, then it all works. It works correctly. Listen, your kids are terrible gods. They don't belong in the center. Jesus belongs in the center. Uh, what, you know, so we see these walls being surrounded, speaking of exclusivity and also protection. And then we see here that there are 12 gates, and, the, and at the gates, 12 angels, and the the gates of the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed here. Here we find uh, the nation of Israel being honored here in Jerusalem. And it's interesting that the 12 tribes, uh, the names of the 12 tribes are written on the gates themselves because Israel, the nation of Israel was supposed to be a gateway for the gospel, folks. They are the promised Messiah would come through Israel, thus they're honored. It makes total sense that Jesus, uh, you know, he, he, is, he was Jewish. 
He was, he was born of the, of the line of the tribe of Judah. He was a descendant of David. He belongs on the throne, but he came through Judah, the lineage of Judah, and thus, you know, the promises, the covenant people of God, the nation of Israel is honored in the New Jerusalem by having their names, the 12 tribes, written on those gates because they were supposed to be the gateway for the gospel to come forward. The gate itself is none other than the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus Christ is our doorway in, he is the gate itself, the, tri, the 12 tribes of Israel, written on the gate, you know, as, as meaning that Jesus fulfilled the promise of those 12 tribes. He is, they're the covenant people and all. It's just an incredible picture that we have here of God being faithful. The song we sang, at the, you know, earlier, God is faithful to keep his promises. He does everything that he says he's going to do. He promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a nation, I'm going to give you all the nations, as, as long as, as far as the, you know, as much as the sand on the seashore, you know, the stars in the, the I'm going to bless you in, with all these kinds of descendants, and you know what, God keeps his promises. He told David, your throne will last forever, and guess what, his throne will last forever. Why? Because Jesus came. God fulfills his promises through the nation of Israel. Contrary to many people in our culture today, God is not done with Israel. He has not replaced Israel with the church. It makes no sense that God would uh, put the names of the 12 tribes of, of Israel on the New Jerusalem gates and then go, oh, by the way, the church replaced Israel. They're two separate programs, folks. Two different people, uh, all one part of God's family, but God will turn his sights back towards Israel in the, um, the, in the tribulation period. But for now, God's sights are on the Gentiles. That's you and I. Anybody who's not Jewish, we're Gentiles, and God is after us currently. But when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, that means when that last Gentile person gets saved, God will then turn his sight. There's a number. I don't know what that number is. Maybe you're here this morning. Wouldn't it be nice if you got saved so we could go home? That would be awesome. It'd be great if we could get raptured right out of here. You know, forget driving home. We'll just forget lunch. We'll do it in heaven, you know, kind of thing. But... But God is honoring the 12 tribes of Israel. Not only that, but then listen. He also honors the 12 apostles. Verse 14. And the wall of the city uh, had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Here we find not only the 12 tribes of Israel, the, their names are written on the gates, but the foundation, the foundation of the walls of the New Jerusalem are, you know, the, the, those foundations are on the 12 side, uh, tw 12 of those stones there are written, the 12 apostles, and the cornerstone being Jesus, guys. Jesus is what locks it all together. But listen, it's on the, the apostles' name that the foundation is written. Paul said it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built 
uh, together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Christ is the cornerstone on which the apostles are the foundation. Listen, the church today exists because of these 12 apostles. The 12 apostles, they fulfilled their mission. They were called to build the foundation of the church. If they didn't build the foundation of the church, guess what would have happened? The gospel wouldn't have gone forward. Who's supposed to do that? Now, God would have found a different way. I'm certain of it because he's not dependent on our faithfulness, thank God. But he's faithful. But here's what I know. These 12 guys were called to be the foundation of the church. And you know what? We're sitting here today because they were. And you know what? In heaven, their names are going to be written on the foundation of the walls of the New Jerusalem. How amazing is that? You might like think like, oh man, that's so cool that, that their names are going to be on there and everything and how God used them. And all. I want to tell you something. Your name is written on a foundation too. There's a foundation. Maybe you're uh, the first person in your family to be saved. And, and you have a responsibility to build the foundation of Christ in your family. Maybe it's in your life circle, your friends or your coworkers or whatever, and you're the only believer there. That's because God has sent you there to be a foundation builder. He wants to build upon you and allow you to uh, be the representation of Christ in that place. Listen, you have a mission just as, just as well as they had a mission. They were on mission, and guess what? Their name is honored in heaven. Their name is honored in the, in the New Jerusalem because they did what they were called to do. I want to encourage you this morning, man, whatever it is that the Lord is calling you to do, step into that because it's significant, way more significant. Do you think that Paul or Peter or John or any of those guys thought that their names are going to be written on the foundation of heaven? Like, oh, oh, by the way, you know, they wanted to sit on the right and the left of Jesus, but they had no clue how important their role was. And I don't think you understand how important your role is. Listen, we have an incredible calling on our lives in these last days to represent Jesus Christ, man. And you know what? You're going to be honored when you do it. You're going to be honored when you represent the Lord like that. Uh, the, the biggest question we all have here in this moment, I think, is probably who is going to be the 12th apostle? I know you're thinking that. You're like, oh, man, is this going to be Paul or Matthias? Who is it going to be? Who do you think it's going to be? Paul or Matthias? How many, how many think it's going to be Paul? How many think it's going to be Matthias? How many of you have no idea? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea who it's going to be. But one of their names will be written on it. Maybe it'll be somebody else like, you know, you know some, some other name, random name like Bill. You know, it's like, hey, Bill, Bill, who's Bill? Bill was an apostle, never heard of that guy. But anyway, so, you know, the point is that, hey, there is a foundation being laid through you, just like it was through them. The people being honored here are the people in covenant relationship with God, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, both in covenant relationship with God, the 12 tribes, the old covenant, the 12 apostles, the new covenant. How amazing is that? So we have the, the appearance of our forever home. Now let's consider the measurements. Look at verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city lays four square, its lengths the same as its widths. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also 
and, and angel's measurement. So John now, given the measurements of the city of Jerusalem here, the new, new city of Jerusalem here, and it's important to note that, look, the, even the tape measures in heaven are gold. How amazing is that? He's like, here, here's your gold tape rod. Like, go ahead and measure, measure it out with gold. That's how insignificant gold is in the new kingdom to come. He tells us that the city walls uh, are, this, the city is a cube. It's literally, it's length and its width and its height are all the same measurement. And it tells us the measurement here, 12,000 stadia in each direction. A stadia is about 607 feet, thus 12,000 stadia is approximately 1,380 miles cubed. So, you know, just to kind of give you an idea, that's why it says the city lies four square. It's a square that's cubed. Some people say, like, well, four square can also be a pyramid. Not in this context. Not in this context. It can't be. It says it's four square. It means equal in all sides and, 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 and both in length and width and height. And so, you know, he, here we find a square. I, I love that Dr. Henry Morris uh, calculated the, new, the size of the New Jerusalem. It's going to be about roughly half the size of the United States. He says it will cover from Canada. This is two-dimensional. From Canada to the Gulf of Mexico and from Colorado to the Atlantic Ocean. But then it's cubed. So we're not just living on the horizontal, but we're also living on the vertical. We're not, the, the same things, the same laws that apply here on this earth do not apply in the new heaven and the new earth. We will also live vertically as well as horizontally. How does that work? I got no idea. But that's what I know. You know, maybe, maybe you know, you don't need an elevator in, in this area. Maybe you just go up. You know, I don't know. But, 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 the, but the area is going to be cubed. The city is going to be like a cube. Uh, Henry Morris goes on to say that by rough calculations of, you know, estimations of how many people are going to be saved, he says, you know, you'll, you'll approximately get uh, 75 cubic acres of land in the New Jerusalem, just in case you were wondering, like, hey, am I getting the quarter acre thing, or do I get a little bit bigger place? So the, the Gen X's have it kind of right when they want that country living kind of thing. You know, you have the 75 acres cubed. That's, that's, not, that's three quarters of a mile, not three quarters of an acre, three quarters of a mile cubed. Uh, that's, that's about what it will be like. The point of the dimensions, though, is to, to just let you know, listen, there's plenty of room in heaven for everybody. We're not going to be crunched in there. You know, we're not going to be packed in there like sardines. We're like, whoa, heaven's awesome. You know, like I can't even lift my hands. I'm trying. It's not going to be like that. It, it, there's going to be plenty of room for everybody that wants to go. He goes on to measure the wall of the city. Some assume that this means the height of the wall. I, it probably means the thickness of the wall. Thickness of the, of the wall being about 144 cubits. A cubit is about 18 inches. So 144 cubits is 216 feet thick or 72 yards. That's like three quarters of a football field wide. Now listen, I know that you are excited to show your chariot uh, uh, racing skills in heaven. You'll be able to do that on the top of this wall. Just like the Babylonians did on the top of their walls and all that kind of stuff. You're going to have a chance to do that. So, you know, brush up on that. We do know that there will be horses in heaven, so, you know, probably chariot races, man. You know, who's the Lord going to cheer for? That's the thing, you know. He's like, hey, he's got my, my picture on his refrigerator, and he's like, he's got mine too. How's this going to work? I don't know. So we have the measurements relating to the New Jerusalem. It checks all the boxes. It's comfortable. It's cozy. It's spacious. Now let's dive into the surroundings. Look at verse 18. The wall of the, uh, was built of jasper. 
Well, the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth uh, carnelian, the seventh uh, chrysolite, the third, the eighth uh, beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, uh, the twelfth amethyst. And so, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the city of the, or the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So here we find the walls are built probably of diamond, uh, you know, clear, clear as glass, speaking about the purity of that. You know, if you know anything about, you know, jewels and stuff, you know, the pure it is, the clear it is, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the city is also made of pure gold. It's literally transparent. You know, it's, it's like glass, but it's gold. Forget the emerald city, man. This is going to be amazing. This place is going to be impressive. Notice the 12 foundations that the names of the 12 apostles were written on. They're adorned with every kind of jewel. So it has all of those 12 jewels on the foundation with the names of the apostles. It's interesting. You know, what do these jewels mean? We don't know, but, but speculation is that, that all of these jewels are the same jewels that were found in the high priest's breastplate. And yet it's adorned on the foundation which is just speaking about, you know, us being, the Bible tells us that we're priests. We're, 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 priests of, we're, we're priests of the Lord. Jesus is our high priest. It's kind of interesting that those are adorned with this, the, these specific um, jewels and such. Not only that, but then we find that the, the gates, the 12 gates, are made with one single pearl. Now, either these gates are made, made for ants or there are gigantic oysters in heaven. I don't know which one it is. But uh, one, can you imagine one, one pearl is a, in a, is a gate? And, you know, you, you go to Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem today and you see what the gates look like, I mean, God, God gave the dimensions and all of that. You look at the gates and you think, like, they're big. It's not like you just barely walk through it. They're huge. One pearl being the gate there, pretty impressive. Not only that, but then we see the streets are made of pure gold, so pure that they are transparent glass. So... What we have here is some of what we consider to be the most precious of things in our world today, precious stones and precious metals and all this kind of stuff. And it's just all of this is simple building materials in heaven. So, so this should tell you, do not pursue the things of this world. Don't pursue the, the things that, that you know, are considered precious in this world. The things that are precious in this world will be nothing in heaven. The things that matter in this world are people. People are eternal. You know, that's why the Lord tells us to set our minds on things above. He tells us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. He tells us to be focused on, on those who are lost and, and to, to be part of a body to encourage each other and all of these kinds of things because these things are eternal. They're the things that matter. You're not taking anything with you, which reminds me of a story of a guy that, that, that asked the Lord, hey, can I take one bag with me to heaven? The Lord said, um, no, I don't think so. So he kept beg begging the Lord to let him take one bag, and the Lord said, sure, go for it. You can do it. So he shows up, he dies, he shows up in heaven, he's got a bag with him. And of course, Peter's there, totally unbiblical. But anyway, he's there, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm here, and, and Peter says, you can't bring that bag in here. You can't bring anything in here. You can come in and of yourself if you're on the list. Let me see, okay, you're on the list. But doesn't it say that I have a bag? God said I could bring a bag. 
no, it doesn't. Well, call him and ask him. So he gets on the horn with the Lord, and he's like, hey, Lord, you know, uh, there's a guy. That, I don't think he used a phone, by the way, but he's like, hey, Lord, you know, uh, and, and they have this conversation. The Lord says, oh, yeah, I let him bring this bag in. So he goes, okay, the Lord says you can bring it in, but I got to inspect it. So he opens up the bag, and, uh, you know, there were multiple bars of gold inside of it, and Peter looks at him confused. He goes, you brought asphalt to heaven? Why would you do that, you know? It, it, it's just so interesting to see that, you know, the things that we lust over here don't matter in heaven, man. We are going to be moving up like George and Wheezy uh, when we get up into heaven. And, and like half of you are going, who's, who's George and Wheezy? I don't know who these people are. Never mind. We're moving on up and we're moving forward. Not only do we see, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the surroundings of our forever home, but now the light source of our forever home, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. One of the areas that you... Uh, people spend money on when it comes to building a home is lighting. Lighting can make, make or break, uh, you know, a room. The way that it's lit up and stuff, it can make it appear bigger or make it appear smaller. It can make it appear intimate or it can make it, uh, you know, all kinds of different things. Listen, the lighting in heaven is going to be amazing. It's going to be so amazing. I love coming out in my living room area in, in, in the morning you know, early in the morning and the sun is crashing through our windows and I sit there in the light, just super bright, everything is white in our area and I just sit there with my coffee and I'm like, yes, I love the brightness of it. I love that. Like that is to wait till you get to heaven. It's gonna be so amazing, the brightness of, of, of heaven there in, in that place. Uh, the light source is Jesus. He was the light of this world and he's the light of the next world. Literally, it says it's, he becomes the, 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 the lamp of God where the glory of God is shining through the lamp and just beaming out all through this city. And you can imagine the, the colors that are going just, to just explode through the city because of all of the, the, the diamond walls and all this kind of stuff and the gold, the shimmer, all of that is going to be amazing. I don't know if it's going to just be rainbow after rainbow after rainbow or what, but it's going to be amazing. The New Jerusalem is filled with the glory of God, Jesus being the light source through that. The temple, no temple. No temple. We don't need a temple. The Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb will be our temple. Remember when uh, the temple existed, when Jesus died, the, the veil that, that separated the holy of holies from the holy place was rent. It was torn in half because Jesus opened up the door. You couldn't come you couldn't come to the Lord. You couldn't go into the holy place. You couldn't be in the presence of God before that. But after Jesus came, Jesus opened it up so we could be right in the presence of God. And when we get to the New Jerusalem, we're not going to have to go to a building to worship God. He is the building. He's there. We're in him. And we're worshiping him. We don't have, there's not going to be any synagogue. There's not going to be any cathedral. There's not going to be any church building at all in heaven. God himself will be our place of worship. He will be omnipresent. He will be ever-present, always. And his glory will shine brightly. 
all through the new heavens, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. And listen, it will never be night. It'll never be night. If you're a night owl here, guess what? You're out of luck in heaven. You're going to be in big trouble. Your circadian rhythm's got to get adjusted when you get up there because if they're not, you're going to be messed up. But Isaiah spoke about this. He talked about us basking in the Shekinah glory of the Lord, Isaiah 60, verses 19 through 20. Then the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor the brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord uh, will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. No night, pure light all the time, and the gates will never be shut. It's in heaven. There, there's not going to be, the, the gates will be open all the time. Now, granted, there's 12 angels standing by all those gates to keep the riffraff out. We got to keep it nice up in there, you know, and everything. But, but the gates will never be, be shut because there won't, will be no darkness at all. It'll be pure light all the time. He goes on here to say something. John mentions that the nations and the kings, who are they? Who are these nations and kings he talks about here? In, in verse 24, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, into the new Jerusalem. It's like, wh who is he talking about? Who are these people? There's a ton of speculation about this. The, the, just to cut to the chase of it, we don't know. We don't know who they are. But what we do know is that they will walk in the light. They'll walk in the, in the light of Jesus Christ and they will bow before the king. They will bring glory, whatever glory they they, whatever, if they're ruling and reigning with Christ outside of the walls, whether it's, believer, it's believers that have duties outside of the walls of Jerusalem, because we'll have jobs probably doing something like that, and you come back in and you give him all the glory because he shares his glory with no one. He shares his glory with no one. Everyone will bow before him. Every crown will be tipped at his feet. No one will stand there and go, God, you're so lucky I'm here. We're going to be like, Lord, you're so amazing, and you get all the glory. So, frankly, I don't know who they are. But what I do know is they're going to bring their glory into the new Jerusalem, and they will cast their crowns before him. This brings us to our final point here, verse 27, the entrance of our forever home. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The entrance to a, to our, to a home is important. The entrance is not only the first thing that people see, but it's also the, 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 the security of the home, too. I don't know if you guys saw this, but, uh, you know, it's important to have limits on who you allow to come in your door, right? Into the entrance of your home. Uh, so a couple years ago, there were people going around, uh, you know, people's homes, not necessarily here. I didn't hear about it here, but, but nationally all over the United States, knocking on people's doors saying, hey, I'm with the cable company. I'm here to... Uh, you know, check your cable box. We got, a, we got some kind of a warning that we need to get in here and check it out. People would let them in, and then they'd get robbed because they didn't work for the cable company. They were, po you know, posing as cable people. It's important who you let in your doors, you know, and, and it's important that you vet people before you let them in. My wife is totally oblivious to this kind of stuff. She's just like, oh, really? Well, come on in, you know. She, she's, she's super, you know, she just doesn't think like that. I told her, we lived in the country at one point when we first got here, and I told her, hey, you need to keep the door locked when I leave. You know, she's like, we live in the country. I know. 
I know, you'd walk down, you would walk down the dark alley in the middle of the night, you know, think, there's just probably some nice guys down here, I don't know. And I said, listen, there are no nice guys. <laughs> but but we, we want to protect who, who is allowed in our home, and the Lord is the same way. He says, nothing unclean will ever enter the city. No one who does what is detestable or false will enter. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life can enter. There's an exclusion when it comes to the entrance of our forever home. Only those in Christ can enter. Not just anybody can come in. Doesn't matter who they say they are. He knows them. He knows them by name. He knows every head on their head. He knows whether you're in Christ or out of Christ. He knows everything about you. And he knows whether your name is written in the book of life or not. And he's telling us here that no one's going to be fooled, fooling their way into heaven. He can't do it. No one will enter unless their name is written in the book of life. Remember Jesus' promise to us here on earth. He said, if you, confess your, if you confess my name before man, I will confess you before my Father. He said the exact same thing to the church in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He said, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. When you show up to the door, what's going to happen is Jesus is going to say, he's good. I know him. Let him in. He, why? Because Jesus is going to say, hey, well, I don't know. He looks a little shady, I, that guy right there. Are you sure you want to let him in? No, he's, he's in me. And he'll show his hands that were pierced for the sins of mankind. And, and the only way that you can get in is if you're in him. That's the only way. Who is the, you know, Jesus is the book of life. He is our life. He, he is the one that came to give us life and that more abundantly. And so, you know, this morning, if you're not sure if your name is written in the book of life, you can be sure today. You got to come in Christ. You got to give him your life. You have to surrender yourself to him. That's the, that's the way into heaven, folks. There is no other way. And the Lord wants to uh, invite you in this morning. He said, if you confess my name before man, I'll confess you before my father. And he will. If you come to him, the Bible says that he will by no means cast you out. You confessing Lord to, are you confessing Jesus today? And not necessarily, hey, it, it is with your mouth, by the way. But it's also, and probably more importantly, with your life. Are you confessing Christ with your life? The way that you live? If people are surprised that you're a Christian, uh, you might want to work on that. Confessing Christ with my life. Hey, I didn't know you were a Christian. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> they should. Why? Because we live differently. Because we're not the same. We don't mix into the world. We are, we are in the world, but not of the world. There should be difference in, in our lives, folks. And, you know, if we're confessing Christ with our lives, we also should be confessing Christ with our lips. We should be telling people about the Lord. You know, and we, 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 we open the gate by the way that we live, by the way. You know, people listen to people who, who live, practice what they preach. You know, so we want, to be, we want to be confessors of Christ. You know, and it's not about, you know, we'll be unfaithful and we'll, be, we'll, we'll, we'll fail in certain aspects of that, but we're, we're, we're trying, and that's what matters. That's what he's talking about here. No one will enter, enter this city 
if their name's not written in the book of life. And the only way that your name can be written in the book of life is if you confess Christ as your Lord. So I want to encourage you this morning, before we go into communion, if you don't know the Lord, come to know him. You know, if you're not ready, listen, I want to encourage you, do not take communion. It's not for you. It's for believers. It's for people who are in Christ. It might feel awkward, but it's the right thing to do. If you're not sure, it's okay. No pressure here. But I want to encourage you to do, Paul talks about the seriousness of what we're doing here with communion. That it's not just a check in a box, folks. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that, it's, an, it's a rejoicing. We get to re, be reminded of what Christ has done for us. Some of you might feel this morning like, man, I don't feel worthy to come to the table. Well, join the club. Those are the people he invites to come to the table. You're not worthy to come, neither am I. You know, we're not coming to the table because we're, we're perfect. We're coming to the table because we need Jesus. He's the center of the table. And we're coming to the table to be reminded of what he's done for us so that we can continue to do what we're called to do. You know, the, the enemy is so good at deceiving us and making us feel like we, we can't be vessels for the Lord and all this kind of stuff because we're, we're not perfect. And yet the Lord wants to tell you this morning, I died for you. I paid the price for you. You're clean in me. You know, if you blow it, you confess your sins, you move on. And you know what? And we're, we're being reminded that it's that simple in the Lord. The Lord isn't giving you a, a 30-day waiting period, you know, so you can be forgiven. He's like, oh, well, you did this three weeks ago, so now you're on a 45-day waiting period. When, in 45 days, come on back to me, then you can take communion. No, you can take communion today in Christ. Repent, make your heart clean before the Lord, and just be reminded that that's, that's why we take communion, to be reminded of what Christ has done. So uh, I'm going to pray, and the, the guys are going to pass out the elements. There's two cups in there. One of them is, and the bottom has got the bread. The top is the, is the uh, juice. And we'll partake together uh, once they're all passed out. Father, we thank you for this morning and for your word and just for the encouragement of uh, this passage, Lord, that reminds us that better days are ahead, Lord. That the, the things that we think are valuable in this life are not even, they're building materials in heaven. They're, they're literally the, the ground that, the ground we walk on is paved with the things that we think are precious and walls are built with those things and such. Lord, we pray that you help us to have that heavenly mindset as it relates to this world that you help us to press into you, God, that we would, we would consider the things, things that you think are important, important. And that we would let go of the things of this world that are uh, insignificant in eternity. God, we want to set our minds on things above this morning. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.